How's it going, Deep Dive Sports fans? David here again, and today I'm joined by Nick and Dom. Today we are doing a Let's Talk Sports episode. We've got a bunch of topics to get through today, and let's just get this thing started off with probably the biggest news out of all of them. So recently, I think within the last week or so, the PGA Tour and Live Golf have signed an agreement that would combine the two leagues together. Now, Live Golf has already been kind of controversial to some people throughout the United States and the world. So I ask you guys, A, what are your general thoughts on the matter? B, how does this affect the world of golf? And C, do you, th- do you guys think that the United States antitrust laws actually apply and how can they be enforced? I'm going to start with Nick on this. I guess I'll start with like the, the hardest question. I don't really know how to answer. I'm not very uh, well versed on the antitrust law, but <laughs> right. I'm not. Let me, I'm not let me cl- step in real quick. For okay. those I can handle know, that. I can handle that one a little bit. For those who do not know, antitrust in regards to the United States laws are a set of laws basically saying that no company or companies can kind of like join forces to monopolize a certain market. And you had several things that came or in. even an individual company. Exactly. So like, for example, Amazon couldn't really buy out eBay, Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist, and just buy it out just so that the only place you could buy from was Amazon. So, and the three of main were the Sherman Act of 1890, as well as the Federal Trade Commission and one other act of 1914 were the three main things. So I'll give it back to you. Um, I mean, I, I guess, you know, thank you for explaining that. A little bit more. I'm sure some people at home will, will uh, appreciate that as well. I, I think the only thing that I can say to that is, I mean, we only had the PA for years, so I don't think it really matters. <laughs> I mean, the this the sports landscape is kind of a monopoly when you talk about all sports anyway. Like, I mean, you have the college athletics when you talk about basketball and football, but those are supposed to be a nonprofit um organizations for the most part and you know when you look at like the nfl the nfl pretty much has a monopoly on football i know we have the two spring leagues now but nothing's really competing with it on a you know a professional level um during their season the nba is pretty much a monopoly and and you could say oh well there's the g league but the nba owns the g league the nba you know funds the WNBA, so it's not like there's really much you know parity there with that so i don't know i think with with that i don't think it's really going to make a difference because there's only ever really been one truly established professional like golf league um, there's a little offshoots and stuff like that little tournaments but for the most part there's only really ever been one so i don't think it's really going to matter that much when it comes to those laws um the general thoughts on it i i don't know it i i think everybody had their opinions about like where the money was coming from with live golf and and this like Saudi trust that they're putting like a billion dollars in to basically pay for all these athletics, whether we'll get in, you know, later in the episode um, with all the football. And I just think that, you know, everybody has their own opinions on on whether or not they, they like it and their opinions on the blood money, all that stuff that goes into it. So it's definitely going to be something that's we'll have to watch going forward and, and see how fans of golf really, you know, support it or don't support it. I think it'll be something that people will watch and, enjoy, you know, if they like watching golf, they'll, they'll watch it. If they're casual watchers of golf then they'll continue casually watching golf. And if people don't like watching golf then they won't watch golf, it's not, I don't think it's really going to move the needle 
either way, I think the only thing that this really helps is like it's going to help live golf be relevant and it's going to help that investment that basically that fund put into and make it, you know, viable. So they're not just lose the dollars every single year. I don't know I, how it affects the world of golf. I don't think it's really going to change much. I think we'll see different types of golf, like the live golf strategy of like teams and tournaments and stuff will um, be something that goes into place, you know, throughout the the tour. But other than that, I think everything will pretty much stay the same. So I don't know. I, I feel bad for the guys that basically, you know, the the tour asked to, I guess, shame the live the live guys and the live golf. I feel bad for them, you know, especially some of those guys that turned down money. Like Tiger turned down a billion dollar deal. Rory McIlroy turned down like four hundred million dollars or something like that to go play over there. So, you know, and other guys turned down significant amount of money. So I think that the talks right now are whether or not can we make those guys whole. Um, for their decision to, you know, back the PGA Tour now that the PGA Tour has kind of gone back on and really kind of shit on their loyalty. Um, can they right those wrongs and, I guess, make those guys whole in that? I don't know. Definitely a crazy, crazy uh, little tornado they got going on there. But we'll kind of have to see how it plays out and how those two leagues, I guess, either merge or coexist. Going. Yeah, I really don't have any disagreements with you there. Um, I guess I'll, I'll address the antitrust laws first um i mean it's really precedent setting if the case if the merger didn't happen i feel like pga felt like their backs were against the wall and they knew that the the court rulings weren't going to go in their favor or they would have had no incentive to to really merge with live in the first place um but if 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 it would have came if the ruling would have came down that the pga was violating antitrust laws then it was really precedent setting for u.s sports across the board because like you mentioned, NBA has has a monopoly on on basketball. MLB has a monopoly on baseball, NFL, and so on and so forth. Um, so it really would have changed the sports landscape. In, in terms of the actual merger, um, I think it really puts a stain on PGA and professional golf because of the Saudi fund that is now going to be backing PGA. You know, it, it it really, I guess, to me is disturbing because we now have an adversarial government controlling an entire U.S. sports league. Um, you know, I, I know Saudi Arabia is technically considered a, an ally, but I mean, let's make no mistake about it. They are not an ally whatsoever. You know, there's a lot of things wrong with that government, with that country. Um, there's a lot of human rights issues and abuses that are going on over there. And it, it really bothers me when the head of PGA Golf since the start of, of Live Golf has, you know, been adamant that they're never going to merge. Um, they're going to fight Live Golf till the end. Even talked to the the families of 9-11 survivors and, and got their opinion on the matter. Had, you know, the, the biggest stars in the PGA speaking out against Live Golf. And here they ended up merging and they didn't even really talk with anybody. They didn't talk with their players. They didn't talk with anybody. They just went and, and formed this merger and no, like I, for, you said, the, I the, forgot to mention that like it, on the day that they pretty much just put it out on social media, that's when all those guys found out about it was on social media. Yeah. And that's like, that's yeah. a super like messed up. Like I said, the, like the guys who championed the PGA tour, like you were saying, they, they were given no respect. And I think, yeah, like, they, they weren't, not only were they not given any heads up, they, they feel betrayed. Like mm -hmm. the, the PGA, the, the organization that, that they love and have been 
supporting for their whole careers just stab them in the back um i i don't think it's it's a good look for professional golf no i really lost all respect for the pga and i think it's a shame um but like you said the people that are diehard golf fans i mean they're still going to watch the big tournaments they're still going to watch because you 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 love the sport and i don't blame anyone for loving the sport it's just the organization now has a big stain on it very much well and and another big difference so the pga originally was a non-profit organization and now that they formed with the the saudi uh fund they are very much a for-profit institution so it's going to completely change how the entire organization is structured Mm -hmm. um then you know we can debate back and forth over over different episodes if we think that's a good move or a bad move but it's definitely something that's going to completely change for uh, professional golf yeah definitely agree on that one and i pretty much had the same thing because it's like the the pga went back on their earlier remarks like that they had made about live golf and just live golf in general is not supported a whole lot by many in the united states now will it grow the game i have no idea i have no idea now about the antitrust thing for the longest time the mlb actually had an antitrust exemption from uh, an actual court case. So there was an actual court case in on May 29th, 1922, and it was titled Federal Baseball Club versus the National League, where they actually sided with the National League in that it basically wasn't a monopoly league at all. And this was upheld in 1953, as well as 1973 where those court cases basically upheld the Supreme Court's decision and all that. Now, the MLB actually lost their exemption in 1998 uh, when Congress enacted the Kirk Flood Act. Now, by that time, uh, the MLBPA, or the Players Union, had actually done a lot for uh, the players and all that for, like, work compensation. Now, the point that I want to make is there's actually, like, some hope because... The USFL actually, when it was created in in the 80s, actually won a lawsuit against the NFL in terms of monopoly on the game of football and whatnot. Now, that didn't last long because of other financial reasons, but it, let's say there's another pro league that comes out. It has for, for golf and whatnot. In theory, it, it could stand a chance if they filed a lawsuit for antitrust and whatnot because MLB lost their antitrust trust exemption and the nfl lost an actual lawsuit from the usfl in the 80s so who knows where this goes as of right now they are not at least to my knowledge not combined just yet they're still kind of like figuring things out so who knows but that as of right now they have the plans of actually going and combining any other thoughts guys well and i not not to kind of move off of this topic but you know i think i think i had mentioned there was like a billion dollars in that fund or whatever i just kind of looked it up it said it's like almost 700 billion dollars in that public interest yeah. fund and they the don't they don't lose money no they so you're like money. so i know this isn't a topic in here but just to kind of because we were talking about it before i move on i mean you this public interest fund now basically owns i mean golf for the whole world the, the pga tours a, a world like I guess professional golf league. They own a premier soccer league team. Um, they own 
they basically just bought like three big time soccer players from overseas and paid them a shit ton of money. So like there's nothing saying, you know, that they can't start cracking their way into other markets because we've seen with the PGA Tour and they've proven that everybody has a number. So you have a the like, you know, the person who's leading the PGA Tour, who's basically like saying, hey, you know, these guys are bad, like you know all this these just pushing all this rhetoric and and now the 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 number you know it it changed changed the minds so i don't know it, well, it'll be interesting to kind of see if what else they crack their way crack into their over way. the next like you know 10 years well and what the saudis are trying to do is they they know the world's perception of so by getting into all these sports leagues, they're trying to say, hey, we're not that bad. We, we own all these sports leagues. Like, look what we're doing. Ooh, forget about all the human rights violations and, you know, murdering of innocent people. But, hey, look at our golf league, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, pretty much at this point. Anyways, let's move on. And um, let's move on to actually baseball. Right now, the fans of the Oakland Athletics are conducting a reverse protest where instead of leaving the stadium empty, fans are actually filling the stadium up. And the kind of the purpose was to show the world that it really wasn't the fans being the issue. It's the management and other people as well. And while they're there, they're screaming things like sell the team. So what are your guys' thoughts on the matter? How does this make the ownership and more importantly, the MLB look? And lastly, should the MLB consider creating two new teams in order to accommodate, to accommodate a team in both Las Vegas and Oakland? If so, what should the what other location be for the MLB? Actually, let's start with Dom, with the, since he's our resident on deck person. Yeah, um, so the A situation is is interesting. I, I, I mentioned this on, on a previous episode of On Deck. I, I hate seeing small markets lose their teams. And I, I really feel bad for the fans, but I feel like it's a little too little too late. Like I, I get the team sucked, but maybe if there was more support from the fans and showing up to the games, maybe their the, the ownership would have been more inclined to spend more money on the team. But ownership and and management have run the team horribly uh, for almost a decade now. Um, I think it's been clear that they've been trying to move the team. I, I really don't think anyone is blameless in this situation, um, especially the ownership of the A's and the city of Oakland. It, it's, it sucks that these fans are going to lose their team, and I wish the A's weren't moving, but I kind of understand why they want to move. I just kind of wish they would, you know. But I, I the, this reverse protest, um, I wish they would have done this a couple years ago instead of, when the team has already signed a, a land lease with the city of Las Vegas and already have a, a stadium plan already going and they're ready to break ground now, you know, that I just wish they wouldn't have waited so long because maybe this could have been prevented. You know, I, I think back to the Columbus crew and what the fans did to organize and, and save that team from moving. Um, they didn't wait till it was already announced that the team was going to move and the ownership already had stadium plans drawn up in a spot already bought they got a as soon as the news broke that the team was looking to move fans organized and and they did everything that they did to stop the team from moving i, I feel will, like if they, I, I will disagree with you though because the the owner of the crew before he had 
they literally had it almost it was almost signed off on that they were going to Austin. And they yeah, even it was they even almost they even signed gave, off on not already I know, but they they literally they he literally started a football team in Austin. Like that's you know what I mean? The the team that's well, in like he, now he is, still ended up is his, yeah. So yeah, I mean, he still ended up moving it. It was it was an expansion team. It wasn't the team that relocated. So no, no, yeah, yeah, he yeah, still yeah. got his team, but it was a new team. Yeah. So but it they, was it was gonna happen. Fans regardless. didn't wait till the deal was already announced that the team was officially moving to to really start a movement to try to save the team. Really good point. Really good. Because it's like, when you think about it, these people were like wanting a new stadium, but wanted like the owner to pay for it. And he knew for a fact that it wasn't going to happen. And Which I do agree with because, I mean, I, I know the MLB isn't like the NFL, you know, but these are still billionaires we're talking. Mm-hmm. And city like Oakland, it's not really the wealthiest city. It's not New York. It's not San Francisco. This guy, they got their own problems. And you have a person that can literally pay for a stadium out of pocket and it really wouldn't hurt his finances too much. I totally understand and, and agree that most stadiums should be either fully privately funded, like you're seeing quite a few stadiums now be fully privately funded, or like 80%. 90% privately funded. Because I mean if you're the taxpayers, you're you're fronting the bill to pay for half a stadium or more than half a stadium. Then you got to pay to use the stadium at you know really jacked up prices. Um it, it's really a lose-lose for the city. I mean, we've seen tons of cities get screwed over on stadiums. Yeah, they really have been. And um, so I think this this entire situation kind of makes both kind of look bad because I think that. There was a serious fan base in Oakland. They just wanted to say to the owner, hey, you need to take majority of like paying for this new stadium and we'll come to the games if that's the case. But then but he decided not to and decided to move the team and it was supported by the MLB. And now I think they're showing, hey, we weren't necessarily the issue. We just wanted our team to stay. That's all we wanted. And to the last to the last point that I wanted to kind of argue, I think that we should have another team in like Vancouver or something like that. Bring back or not Vancouver, uh, Montreal. Montreal, bring back the Expos, baby. Bring back the Expos. Bring back that historic franchise. So that's not just the Blue Jays. Don't get me wrong. I love the Blue Jays. I think they're an amazing team. I think they're an amazing team. But they, but there should be another team in uh, Montreal. Uh, so kind of just i guess adding insult to injury with this i'm I'm going back through i'm looking at a history of attendance per season espn if you google mlb attendance it gives you a list of all the teams their total attendance for the year their average per game and all that the oakland a's have not been higher than 25th out of 30. i'm going back i'm in 2016 now, okay, they were, let's go. I mean, really, for the past 20 years, they've been at or very close to the bottom in attendance. So, I mean, like I said, the, the fans aren't fully blameless in this, you know. If the if the fan support was really there, they would have been showing up to games, even when the team was competitive. They made the playoffs a handful of years ago. They're a team that historically has been pretty competitive. Um, if the fan support was really there, I feel like, they would have shown up it's the thing too that like i with with all these teams that you know move cities and stuff and and i think it really comes down to for me it's like a couple things i think one yes like these owners are billionaires 
But the problem is, is you have a lot of these like legacy owners that are, you know, either the kids of the original owner who was like a, an owner when they bought the team when it was like worth $5 and now it's, you know, a three or $4 billion team or whatever. So they don't, it's not necessarily like these families or individuals who own these teams. They're not necessarily like flush with cash. They're billionaires because their assets are valued at a billion dollars. Like you get the Las Vegas Raiders owner who had to take out like an immense amount of loans and Vegas footed a lot of that bill for that stadium. So it wasn't necessarily that he had all that cash on him to be able to be like, yo, listen, I can just build a $2 billion stadium. So all of these guys, all of these guys, they have outside businesses. A vast majority of these owners, they have other streams of income other than just owning their baseball. No, no, no I'm not saying that. I'm um, just saying in in general, like they don't they don't have the cash to just be like, let me build a two billion dollar stadium. Like I understand that they're I understand that they're rich. I'm not saying that they're not rich. I mean, they well, own, they're not, they own, even they, NFL they own, teams are building two billion dollar stadiums. But I I see your point. They own they 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 own like a you know, professional sports team within America. I understand that they have money, but I'm just saying a lot of the, there, there are a lot of owners that really their main revenue source is, is that team that they own. It's not their outside businesses. It is that team that they own. That, that is where they're making most of their money. Not everybody is Mark Cuban, you know what I mean? Where he just has a, a shit ton of money outside of it. So I think that, that, that therein lies the, the first problem. When you look at somebody who's like, you own a professional sports team, they should be able to build their own stadium or improve their own stadium or whatever it be because they own it. They should have they should have the capital to do that. They shouldn't have to rely on, you know, the city and the people in those cities. But on the flip side, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Like you said, you want your sports team to stay, you have to support it. Um, but at the same time, you look at a business that, you know, in a city creates a lot of economic revenue whether that's through monetary value or whether that's through job value. Um, and I think, like you said, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't have all that and then not go to games and watch watch the team play every once in a while. But I will go to the other side on it again. Sports now have pretty much priced people out. So if you're going to go watch a game, it's priced out the lower middle class, maybe even into the the middle and upper middle class. Like, You've pretty much if you're not if you're not able just to be like, yeah, let me go drop two hundred and forty dollars on some nosebleed tickets. You're screwed. You're not going to watch your team. You know what I mean? So I think that's that's also a part of the problem is like I understand that, you know, we live in a world now where everything is exponentially more expensive than what it was. You know, instead of spending three hundred dollars a month on groceries, people are spending two hundred dollars a week on groceries. I understand that's where we're at in society. Everything is way more expensive. Um, you got to pay people more, all that stuff. But the normal person can't can't go to, you know, 10 baseball games a year when they're having to pay $200 for a seat. You know, 10, 15 years ago, the normal fan probably could go to like 10 games a year out of no, the 162 yeah. well, I mean, that the, they had. The price of tickets has gone up much faster than, than the, the price of everything else. And unfortunately, player salaries are the largest expense for any of these teams, mm-hmm. you know, when, you know, the, the owners are going to try to recoup their money somehow. And when you got a team like the Mets, that's paying $300 million for their salary this year, they, who's going to, who's going to end up paying for it is going to end up being the fan. On and of- they're going to do it. And on top of everything else that they have to pay for um, inflated concession prices. Now they're yeah. paying for inflated tickets. Um, Want to, I got to, got to get in my, um, 
crack at the dolms here. Um, I love to shit on them as much as I can. Um, the owners that, that cry poor all the time and can't spend money on their team, you know, to keep them competitive. Um, David, did you know that the Dolans are the fourth uh, richest owners in baseball? I did not know that, but I wouldn't be. No, 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 you didn't. Most people don't know it because when you, when you're spending $40 million on your, on your team salary and you're saying, Oh, we can't afford to, uh, you know, spend money to keep the team competitive besides pay Jose Ramirez. Um, Yeah. They are the fourth wealthiest owners in major league baseball. They are wealthier um, then the Steinbrenners, David, did you did you know that? No, you know, the owners of the New York Yankees. Yeah, yeah, they're wealthier than the owners of the New York Yankees, um, who spend like twenty times what we do annually in salary. And you found this out how? Um, I googled um, Google <laughs> like wealth. <laughs> I, I I I simply googled like wealth of MLB owners, and there's there's a whole list on it. Um, wealthiest owners. I mean, not surprised you got the Cohens. Uh, you know, valued at like you know sixteen billion dollars. Then the, the Blue Jays owners, uh, okay. the Blue Jays owners, then the Braves owners, um, and then the Cleveland Guardians. Um, Lawrence J. Dolan. That wow. does that does bring up like a, another like like stupid point of like you know I think I think like Cleveland is one of those places where like regardless of what you think it is more of a small marketplace for sports franchises i know like the browns have been more successful i know that the Cavs had lebron for all those years so that's that helped out you know that the economic boom there the guardians are probably one of the best at at you know having a farm system within mlb um so they they constantly have young producing talent that goes to the organization but when you're not willing to you're not willing to spend the money to consistently be great. You're just okay with being mediocre or good. And you just string along your fans and they just continually go and spend their money. And we're talking about, again, we just had that conversation. Tickets are like astronomically more expensive than what they were. And people are still buying season tickets and stuff like that. I just think there's got to be something done at, at, you know, a higher level within a lot of these organizations, whether it's MLB, um, NFL, NBA, like the NHL, all this stuff to be like, you guys need to either start penalizing them or like, I don't know, you have to hold them accountable because you can't, you can't sit there and tell me that, that they don't have enough. I don't, I don't need them to have a $300 million payroll. I think that's astronomical as it is for the Nets, but you know, the guardians could have kept, yeah, they, 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 they could have kept a lot of their, a lot of their guys that, you know, would move the needle for them, would help them win championships instead of being what, you know, you've said it before, Dom, is they're basically a farm system for the rest of Major League Baseball. Well, that's that that's an insane yes. thing. I mean, I mean, one thing that has really helped the Guardians is I think we have the best front office in baseball. So like we've been able to trade away all of these stars that would probably help us win a championship, but we've been able to flip them in and develop all these prospects. I mean, you look at the team that went to the World Series – should have won the World Series in 2016. But all of those guys, all that core that we had was acquired from trading, you know, CC Sabathia, um, Cliff Lee, all of the stars that we had in the early 2000s. But it, but it doesn't it doesn't but, matter when you when you flip oh, I, a guy yeah, like that. I, but it doesn't matter when you flip a guy like that, and then six years later, you're just gonna trade all that all the people that you got for him anyway, well, who are productive yeah, no, for I, you. The, the the way the Guardians build their teams is they acquire talent either by a draft or by trade, develop them, help them reach their potential, 
try to win a World Series in that like two to three year window. And then as soon as they're about to hit free agency, trade them away, get a bunch of prospects and, and rinse and repeat. They've been able to be really successful with it and be competitive with it, but it really hasn't resulted in a World Series. It's resulted in consistently being at or above 500 and consistently in the playoffs, which is nice for Cleveland. You know, that that's a rarity being consistently good. Uh, but, you know, when you have a team that's, you know, almost at, at the brink of competing for a championship and you don't have an owner that's willing to throw in just a little bit more money to help get the team over the edge, it, it's going to yeah. be the same. We're going to make it to the ALCS, hopefully, and then trade everybody away. And, and in four years, we'll get back to the ALCS, hopefully. And that's it. Yeah, because if you if you coupled your ability, like I said, to have like one of the best structured farm systems within baseball, and you just threw a little bit of money at some, you know, more veteran players, you could you could do a whole lot of winning. You know what I mean? I'm not going to guarantee you're going to win a championship every single year, but like you're going to be more competitive. You're going to do a whole lot more winning. You're still going to have the young talent pipeline that you're going to have, and you could still you could still play your game by being like, okay, every every once in a while we'll ship a guy on out and get a ton of you know prospects in return. I, I'm okay with that game because that's 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 part of it. You know what I mean? But it's just well, like and they they tried that. You know, in 2016 they went to the World Series. 2017 they ended up getting um, Edwin Encarnacion. And they were like top 15 in, in payroll and they won 22 games in a row and were arguably the best team in baseball. And they just slipped up in the playoffs. And then ever since 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021 has been tearing down the roster. And 2022, I think we caught lightning in a bottle. And I think, I mean, all the, the young players that we had kind of overachieved a little bit, mm-hmm. but I think we got lucky last year, but you know, it, it, it sucks to be in a situation where the owner went for it for one year and it was really only they they signed like two guys, but that was them going for it and they didn't succeed in that one year. So they just tore it down. Yeah. I don't know. Back, back to the Oakland A's though. I think that, I think they're out. I think they'll be in Vegas regardless. Should Oakland get a team back? I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think the economy in Oakland is necessarily I just don't think it's there to to house a professional sports team or the I think at one point it was. I think those that sucks for that city and those fans, but I think San Francisco's too close to Oakland. Um, and you're not getting that like I guess that cross traffic, you know what I mean? Because the, the San Francisco market is going to, you know, with the be with the 49ers, they're gonna be with the Warriors, you know, they're gonna be with the Giants. So that's that that's the tough thing is like you're really just kind of getting the city of Oakland and, and the economy there is is so is so bad right now. And and I, I just well, think well, that, and I think the Coliseum should have been torn down or renovated decades. Yeah. You, know, you know, and when when you're in a stadium that's falling apart and no one can afford it to keep it up, mm-hmm. what what are you what are you gonna do? You have no other option. Yeah. And it's listen, it's it's not like Vegas is like it's not too far away, you know what I mean. So you could you could still support your their their A's, you know, and just be a little bit farther of a of a drive. And instead of two hundred dollars for nosebleed ticket tickets, you know, now to be five hundred dollars, and you can go to the casino and gamble some money away. <laughs> so I I don't know. It's it, it's it's a raw deal. I I I kind of think like I don't know, like I like Columbus. Like I don't know if Columbus could really support a a like you know 
top tier professional sports league. Like, I don't know if necessarily it could be an NFL team, an NFL town or an NBA town or an MLB town. You know what I mean? I just don't know. I think it's a very like B sport, you know, where we have hockey, we have the MLS. I think, you know, there's talks about getting the a professional um, lacrosse team here. Um, there's, you know, I think a WNBA team would work well here. I think Oakland might be in that same boat when you talk about the market, because it would be a lot more approachable when you come to like a financial point of like people going to those games. You know what I mean? Like when you go to a crew game, it's like 20 bucks, 30 bucks for a ticket. It's you're not, you're not pricing people out of that point. Blue jackets are, they might be a little bit more expensive, but you're not spending $200 on a ticket to go see a blue jackets game. So I think a a place like Oakland where a lot of the people there, unfortunately don't have the money, um, I would say the majority of that city don't have the money to spend $200 to go see a baseball game. I think that you could really like a, a second tier level sports franchise would do well there, whether or not that's like an MLS team or if they do another hockey expansion. Um, I think that that would be a city to kind of look at because I do think it's a big enough city to have a professional sports team. I just don't know if if the big three is really going to be a good a good place for that you well, know, going well, forward anymore. Kind of like going off of what you've mentioned. I, I think Columbus and, and Oakland share one thing in common and it's proximity to other major markets. Um, I think Columbus is, even though it's the biggest city in Ohio, it's too close to Cleveland. It's the metro area is a similar size. It's too close to Cincinnati where the metro population is a similar size of Pittsburgh. Um, they're all, you know, pretty well, similar in size cities in that, that have professional well, sports too. teams already yeah. in Indianapolis as well. Um it that's that's even more amplified in in Oakland where you can literally see San Francisco from across the bay. So like it it's just across the bridge. <laughs> it's literally it's literally across the bridge. Like it, you know, I I waited to I mean I'm looking at, at a map right now. Like it would be like driving from downtown Cleveland to like Wesley, you know. It's 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 really not that far of a distance at all. So Anyway, speaking of kind of like expansion teams and whatnot, let's move on to our next topic before this gets turned into an hour-long topic. We want to make three episodes out of this, David. (laughs) Something like that. So the Las Vegas Golden Knights recently won their very first Stanley Cup championship. Now, this is the second time that they've ever been to the Stanley Cup, but the first time that they actually went, or actually won, sorry. Now. This actually was completing their championship within six years goal. So I ask, I pose the question to you guys. What does this mean for the NHL and sports in general? Meaning in regards to expansion teams winning the championship within 10 years of their creation. So I don't care who starts. I'm just going to hand it to you guys. I'll I'll go first one just because I think if, if I'm somebody who wants to crack my way into sports and and you know kind of start a sporting franchise i want this model because what they did you know with this expansion team is when they did the expansion draft they pretty much got almost carte blanche of whoever they wanted throughout the nhl like nhl teams weren't allowed to protect very many guys and there was a lot of quality talent that was available for the you know the knights to pick from so that helped out tremendously i think the other thing is obviously you're in las vegas the owner of the team has money you got money flowing they're able to spend it um and players want to be there so i think 
a lot of things came together for this franchise to be this successful within their first six years. Like David said, making it to two Stanley Cups, winning one. They've been pretty competitive from the start. So I think, you know, with the amount of money the ownership has, with the amount of money that's flowing through Las Vegas and how how much of a market that is. And, and when people go to Vegas, like I think they're going to these sporting events, whether or not it's, you know, even a WNBA game with the Aces or the Raiders and, you know, the Knights and eventually with, you know, the A's, if they end up staying with that name, um, they're using it as almost like a destination kind of thing. Like, oh, we're going to Vegas. Let's go to a sporting event or something like that for a couple hours and have fun. So that that money is flowing with tourism there as well, too. And I just think, like I said, the third thing was in that expansion draft, they pretty much got a, a whole starting roster um, from out. From, from that expansion draft. And that really was able to what propelled them to, you know, go to the championship in their first year um, and then now win it. Uh, and I just think that it, it kind of sucks for the rest of the league um, when you do that. But if that's, if you're a league, you kind of, I think that model is what you want to follow to entice, you know, people to join the league and become new owners and then really put that new product that you have on display within its first 10 years so that you know people can fall into it and you can get a fan base that buys into that. I mean, like David's a freaking Seattle Kraken fan now, and he yes, lives sir. in Cleveland. <laughs> so and th- I mean they've been they've been somewhat, you know, successful since they started. So they made the playoffs this year. I think they made a pretty deep run in it. So you're talking about a franchise yeah. that that was able again to kind of have the pick of the litter when it came to an expansion draft. And if you have the market and you have the money behind it to bring players in, I mean, Seattle isn't probably, I would say, one of the top five destinations for free agents, but I don't think it's outside of the top 15 when you talk about cities in the U.S. So um, it just rains all the time. That's the thing that sucks there. But other than that, it's not a bad place if you like being in that that you know part of the country. So I don't know. It's it's definitely an interesting thing. And I think, like I said, people who want to own teams and, you know, other professional sports leagues should look at that model of expansion, um, like the NFL is talking about and like NBA is talking next 10 years. I agree completely. I mean, it really shows you what a team can accomplish when you come in and everyone is working towards the same goal. Like they came in, like you said, they want to win a championship within six years of, of creation of the team, not six years, you know, since whatever. They had a goal in mind when they came into the league and they were determined towards it. And it it goes to show you no matter what a team situation is, whether it's, you know, a team like the Guardians or a team like the Commanders in, you know, or name any tanking team in, in the NBA. If you have a goal in mind and everybody working towards that goal and you're determined to win, you know, it there's really nothing stopping you. You know, and if you're willing to work towards that goal and everyone's committed to it, then the sky's the limit. Um, and, you know, it goes to show you that, you know, you any team could win a championship if, if they're determined enough and, and willing to put the resources and invest the time and money into developing their organization to where they can win a championship. Because um, there's a lot of stuff that goes in behind the scenes. It's not just putting together the roster. Everyone from the top down to, you know, the owner to the people that clean the facilities, like everybody plays a role and everyone is, is determined towards that goal. So if you're willing to to invest all your resources into achieving that goal, then really any team can do it. So I, I hope that their model kind of inspires teams in other sports leagues to to really follow this model because I think this this model can really fit any team in any market. 
And I completely agree with that because it's like coming from a guy who actually worked for a team myself and granted it was just the team shop. So I'm not stupid. I'm not unrealistic. I was just a minimum wage worker uh, working. I just wanted to be there and they were able to keep a guy like me working there for years because of the culture and one because culture means everything. So, well, and they created a culture that, attracted people to want to work for that organization Mm -hmm. yep the other thing i'll say too is like all those people you know all those years i said vegas wasn't wasn't able to be a sports town i think you know they're they're kind of eating their words because you have you you know you have a hockey team in the desert (laughs) that has a huge fan base that's successful being successful right now and you have a WNBA team that Honestly, if you if you were to go ask a normal person to to name a WNBA team, you know, I think that the Las Vegas Aces would be the team that people would be able to name just because of the amount of, you know, media attention that's getting the notoriety, you know, the players that are on there at this point, you know, obviously not everybody's going to you know follow the WNBA. I get that it's not up to that point yet, but I think if if they were to know one WNBA team, I think the Aces would be the one that they would know at this point because because of all, all the, the notoriety that they have. So um, I think that they really need the Raiders to be successful. And if they can get those those three franchises to be successful and the A's to come in and be successful, um, I don't know. I just think that, like I said, I, whoever said that it couldn't be a sports town, I, I think that they were wrong. I, I think that that it has the ability to, to fund it. I think that it has the ability to have the fans there. Um, and like I said, I think it, it doubles as like a tourist destination when people are in. That's the thing. That's the exact point I was going to make. Um, Las Vegas really, really benefits from the 70 million people that, that visit the city. Of, um, because if, if you're looking at just a population, yeah, they're a large city, but they're on the same, like city wise, they're on the same level as I call this. So I. If it wasn't for all the tourism, I don't know if they'd be able to really sustain all of these sports teams that are moving there. But luckily for them, they're Vegas and they get 70 million visitors. A year. If not, on top of that, they get all the gambling money as well, too. So they get that, too. Yeah. Well, and, and one of the reasons why we thought a, a team would never move to Vegas is because of, I mean, let's face it, gambling and sports has been a, an issue for a long time. And no team was going to move to Vegas while sports betting was illegal <laughs> because you're kind of, you know, put it, putting the, the product and in, in people in that location. Of course, people are going to gamble on sports and, you know, there, there would have been issues with it. But now that it's legal, everyone's like, well, we've always wanted to move to Vegas. Now it's not going to be an issue. So let's just do it. Yeah, I, I honestly think that Vegas is going to be the first city that we see that has every major sports um i know that we're still what like three or four away from that but i mean they are they're gonna have four because the a's have already pretty much unless something drastic happens with the a's where they sell the team or whatever it may be um they're they're going to vegas so they're gonna have four and then i think eventually the nba is gonna put a team there and then outside of that you just have the mls and and i the mls has an expansion like every three or four years so i can't imagine that that they wouldn't try to put one there eventually. So 
I don't know. It, it it would be it would be a very interesting you know dynamic to see how that works out and something really cool to talk about in the sports over the next ten years to see how successful a lot of those franchises are there and if the tourism number is enough to you know, franchises float and being successful and feeling supported. Yeah, definitely. And I'm just now realizing I might have to edit this into a two part episode <laughs> or something like that. Goal achieved. Yeah, just leave it as one. They'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, you know what? I, I, I was thinking of this. I have a topic that I want to throw in here, um, impromptu. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard about this. I don't know if you guys have heard about this. What do you think of the um, Defiance Builders as a potential NFL team? <laughs> No, have you guys seen? Have you guys seen the video? I saw it. No. <laughs> Listen, if Defiance is not getting an NFL team before Columbus does, <laughs> I don't care what anybody says. Come on, the Defiance Builders. Come on. Oh gosh, get out of here. You, you, come on. Why yeah. wouldn't they be able to support a, an NFL team? Hanton should get a team before Defiance does. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say of all teams that of all cities that deserves a professional team, it's one hundred percent can. So they, no, they're they, too close to Cleveland. Yeah, they want to. Defiance I mean, is far enough away from Cleveland where it's not controlled the market. Defiance builders, here we go. They won't. They won't do it. Like I said they would. They, they would put it in Columbus for that. Yeah, they'll put it in Defiance. You're you're right. All right, so we're gonna start. What division would the Defiance builders be in? Would they be in the AFC North? They they would they would be in the the nothing football league. They would just play by themselves. It's just the me myself and I league, which is kind of the yeah. They can no hope. You guys have no hope. Defiance builders will win a super. Anyways, so before a, like a depressing joke is made, let's just move on. Um. So what's depressing about the defiance builders, David? <laughs> <laughs> So, moving on, the United States was actually represented by, uh, so, in context, real quick, recently we just had the 24-hour endurance race at Le Mans, and the United States was actually represented by Garage 56, uh, which put a NASCAR Chevy Camaro, stock car Chevy Camaro, into the actual endurance race. They did not win the race, don't get me wrong. They still came in the 39th place, which is a first for a lot of people. For everyone outside of the United States, this is probably the first time that they've ever even heard of NASCAR. So what are your guys' thoughts on this matter? And how impressive impressive is it that a NASCAR stock car was able to represent a country at one of the most famous races in the history of the world? So I, oh, I'll, I I'll say, say this. Sorry. No, you're good. Go anyone can start with this. Oh, well, my. All right. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think, I think in in context too. Like, yes, that they, they finished 39th, but they were running up as almost like 20th in that race until they had like some mechanical issues on the car or something like that. So, I think that like a lot of props has to be given to you know the drivers that were a part of that and the teams and NASCAR in general because you're talking about like a NAS a stock car um, going up against a lot of like you got like formula one cars in there you got different kind of like supercars in there so you have a lot of different type of of vehicles in there that are a lot more aerodynamic a lot have a lot more speed to them um and 
I think that for them to be able to run, you know, I think an average spot of around like 25, I read somewhere uh, for the majority of the race, I think is, is, is a feat in itself. Um, and I think mainly they did this just to bring eyes, like you had said, David, to, to the NASCAR world. Um, and I think they did that because it was something that there's just a ton of videos that I've seen online about, you know, it'd be like the NASCAR passing a McLaren or something like that, just like overtaking, you know, different cars. And, and I think that people around the world were like, yo, what is this? Um, you know, I see all the jokes about all the people from Florida calling, <laughs> calling into the Mons being like, can I get, can I get a spot for my double wide or something like that? Um, <laughs> can, we bring my, our guns? can I bring my Winnebago? Yeah. They're like, can we bring guns? They're like, what does that even mean? <laughs> so like, I know, I know that not all people who watch NASCAR or, you know, the, the crazy <laughs> um, country people, like people think they are, but I just think it's a, it's, it's a funny thing. I think it brought a global, you know, eye onto what NASCAR is and maybe it'll get some more eyes on it, some more representation. I know that we've had people in Formula One come in and race NASCAR for us and stuff like that, but I just think it, it was a cool thing. It was a cool thing probably for, you know, Chevy and Camaro. And I know uh, Jimmy Johnson, who a retired NASCAR driver, got to race in it. So that's something that's super cool for him, NASCAR legend, uh, to be able to do that. I mean, Hendrick that support of that which is like kind of legacy families within nascar so i don't know just just a, just a cool thing in general and, and i hope that they do it I, I don't think a nascar will ever win it but i think just to to have the opportunity to turn some and have some fun I concept we'll see if they do it again yeah i completely agree on that and it's like people consider like nascar to be this like boring like racing sport because they're always turning like you know the joke they're always turning left or something like some stupid shit like it, that and all that it is a lot of left turns Left turn. <laughs> he's making a left turn anyways hey they they have some windy tracks okay <laughs> i want to see someone make a right turn <laughs> it's like oh what is this oh my he just <laughs> turned steering wheel doesn't turn that way <laughs> <laughs> hey it's a very serious sport okay my <laughs> wife used to race all right Oh, I, I don't doubt that. No, it is. I mean, that the jokes hard, aren't legitimate. It is, it is a giant circle. <laughs> Anyways, Dom, you got anything for this? I know nothing about um, car racing, so um, I'm not really going to give an opinion on it. Fair enough. Other than it, it's cool brand recognition. Any, what? You broke up there for a second. It's cool brand recognition. True. True. So, with that said, moving on to our next topic, the next two will be... Uh, American football, actually, in some form or fashion. So within the last week or so, I can't remember exactly when it came out, um, but it came out that the XFL actually had lost $60 million in their first year, whereas their competition, the USFL, actually made some money. I don't remember the exact amount, so I don't. I just know that they had actually made money. So what does this mean for the XFL and the USFL? Um, and Dom, if you want to start off on this, since you didn't really have anything to say in the last topic, uh, I'm going to hand it off to you first. Um, I think it shows that if you're a new spring football league in your first year, you should follow the USFL model um, because what they did was keep costs down by keeping everybody in the same location. So you didn't have to pay for multiple stadiums. You didn't have to pay for transportation to all the different cities. Um, but I, I do think that in the second year with teams still not playing in their respective cities 
I really think interest in the USFL is a lot lower. Um, I will say, I think there was more interest in the XFL. I think their attendance was higher. I mean, St. Louis was drawing like 30,000 people a game. Um, I think you were seeing it talked about on TV more. You were seeing games broadcasted on TV. Um, I know I was kind of the USFL spokesperson last year, but they were really the only league going on in spring football. Um, I forgot the league was going on. I watched like the first week, but I haven't heard anything about it since then. So they're getting no media coverage. Um, I watched week one and it was like New Jersey and like Birmingham where they were playing in Detroit. Like it just didn't seem right. I think the only people in the stadium were the two teams. <laughs> you know, it, I think in your first year, follow the USFL model. In the second year, follow the XFL model, go to your respective cities, actually get people into the stadiums and you're going to draw more interest to your sport. Yeah, that's completely fair and understandable to a, to a very much a degree because they kept everything cheap. They kept, uh, they kept, and I think also it benefited them that they were the only league that the, was in existence at the time when the XFL wasn't even around. So I think they kept with this model to some degree. They expanded it uh, somewhat, not a whole lot. And without kind of like the expectation that the XFL wasn't going to do as well or have as much interest in it. But who knows? I don't. Uh, Nick, anything you want to add to this? All I'll say is like, I think, I think, you know, losing 60 million. And when you talk about the people that are running it, I don't know if they necessarily million a year because the billion dollar backup. Um, but I will say this, the XFL model I think is the correct model to start with because like Dom alluded to attendance is down. I don't think there's really very many TV viewerships, USFL, and you have started your point and yes, you're keeping costs low. You know, maybe you're breaking even or you're making money on, but how successful is that going to be? And then are you able, are you going to be able to break through eventually and put teams in those cities and have that fan base actually buy in? You know what I mean? And I think the other thing too, is the USFL, has you know a significant lower threshold on paying players so the xfl was to get we're able to get a lot of the more quality players within their league this season i believe so i think that's another thing that kind of contributed a little bit more exciting play a little bit better play and i think going forward as you establish those fan bases of cities you're going to see that um, and I think the NFL noticed that as well. NFL and they've kind of, I think they're going to, either it's an agreement or they're going to start supporting the XFL as kind of, the, I guess, spring league. They'll probably use the, a lot of those players from the XFL as kind of a fee and stuff like that. So I don't know. I, I think the XFL model is just fine. You're you're going to lose money five to 10 years starting something like this. I mean, the WNBA still loses <laughs> 11, 12 seasons in. So I just think that, you know, as long, as long as you can keep your head above water and you're not losing like too much money and you're being backed by somebody who has the ability to kind of make up that law, like the WNBA has the, the NBA, the XFL will have the NFL to kind of back up, you know, those losses. And as long as they keep putting a, putting a good product on the field, and as long as they foster, you know, fan support within the cities that they're in, I think that uh, it'll continue to grow. And I think the XFL will outlast the USFL, even though the USFL is maybe make money throughout their first couple of years, like Dom was saying, be keeping those overhead costs lower, but they're not fostering. That's really what success in running a, a sports organ. If you don't have that fan support, then you're not going to be able to make the money. Well, and I think I, I alluded to that when we talked about the, the these two spring leagues. I think the biggest 
differentiating factor between the two teams and what's benefiting the XFL most is when they play their season. And I've had this conversation with my dad. Um, The XFL, when they have their season, they're able to get bigger name talent that's trying to get into the NFL because when their season ends is before any sort of off-season programs happen for the NFL. So these guys that are trying to get into the NFL, they're able to finish their XFL season, still go to minicamp if they're invited to to a minicamp. They can still have a full training camp if they're invited to training camp. Um, they're even doing a supplemental draft. So guys can can apply to be in, this, in the supplemental draft and get onto a team that way. The USFL, their season's not going to end until training camp starts. So all these guys that are in the USFL that are going to try to get in the NFL or behind the eight ball, um, where the guys that are in the XFL had some time off, had some time to recuperate, and they're already going, hopefully going through a full offseason program with an NFL team. Um, I think that's what's going to allow the the XFL to keep acquiring better talent, um, more recognizable names, and I think it's going to result in a better overall product and I, I, I do think down the line the USFL and XFL are going to have to merge. I, I don't think there's I don't think there's always going to be appetite for football, but I don't think they're going to compete with the NFL enough where we can sustain two spring. Yeah, I agree. I think that I think honestly, if I'm the USFL, I'm kind of looking already that double up with the XFL, and I'm looking at rebranding's potential. And I think that I would XFL and be like, hey let's 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 merge together let's almost kind of be like you know this this you know this conference is the xfl this conference usfl you know we'll play against each other we'll go across conferences and what we do in the playoffs and the championship meet it'll be usfl versus xfl and that'll be the championship game and I, at the end of the day i think that model is probably more um and no cap it at like maybe i think it's probably not it's probably um and especially if the nfl is going to look at it and be, and you have a lot more you have a lot bigger pictures, guys. Some of these vets try to make a comeback and kind of. I think, I think as well, you could have a good, a good pool of players that are you know, veteran and kind of replaced on their spot. Yeah, I think you guys definitely summed everything up uh, perfectly. So I think that moves us on to the next topic of the Washington Commanders. Yes, they made the news again, and for a completely known reason but also they thought they figured this stuff out already so the washington commanders recently found out that their trademark claim was actually rejected by u.s courts so this might mean that they may face another name so what do you guys think on this matter and if they have to make another name change what should their new name be so anyone can start on this doesn't really matter who uh, I just think it's on brand. <laughs> I mean, at this point, it's unfortunate. Yeah. I know they're on. Un- I know they're under new ownership, so like, I don't want to say it's on brand because we haven't really got a chance to know this ownership. Um, but I just when you talk about the, the football team, I, I don't know. It just seems like one thing. I, I don't. I don't know what to think about this matter because I just don't let that look forward. Because <laughs> clearly, they have to change their name unless they just lose out on merchandising and stuff like that. So it's just an unfair thing and it again because there's no way that they'd stay this make the kind of money stay afloat. Um, as far as a new name and the the thing that sucks about the commanders was the commanders was like probably probably the one name that <laughs> an. Because I don't know if you guys know the backstory, but there was a certain individual trademark crap hunt. The team went to yeah, go. Yeah, like, we, we, I think we talked about this yes, like, um, <laughs> in a much, much earlier episode. <laughs> so when the team went to go pick their name and they, like all the names that sounded good, they were like, oh, it's already been trademarked. 
and he wanted like millions, like tens of millions of dollars for them to use that name. So they landed on the commanders because it wasn't trademarked yet. And I can, I can only imagine why, because that guy was probably sitting in his basement, not telling them like, oh, hey, I already tried to trademark that. It couldn't because I got the same thing back in. Re- I don't know. I'm just speculating on that point. But whatever name they want to go with forward now, it's like, I don't know. They're going to have to go back to my guy in the basement who wants his tens of millions of dollars for all his trademarks. And I don't know. So it, it's they should just change their name to the Washington Poo Poo Pants because I just I feel like at this point, <laughs> everything they do turns to shit and it's just not working anymore. I don't know. They should hire Eric Cartman to be their freaking general manager so he can just answer the phone and be like, <laughs> no, it's the not marketing, marketing director. Yeah. Hi, it's the Washington Redskins. Go. <laughs> go, go like marketing, you should be their uh, PR department as well. I don't know, man. It's it's such a it's such a tragic thing. Like I think the only thing this does is just just drawing the attention away from all the kind of sad teams within the NFL at this point because the Washington Commanders have become I don't know the joke of the NFL at this point. I mean they they were which they makes were, me feel good. Browns fan. Yeah, but, they were they they were they were called the football team at one point. I mean, think about how low as an organization you have to get to be like we already know this is football. This is a football team, but your name is literally the football team. I I don't. I think the low point for them is when poops falling from the ceiling and walls are falling in on Jalen Hurts because they can't support the fans. No, Dom. More when they had to call themselves the football team, we're a, we're a, we're a national football. We're in the National Football League, and I am the football team. <laughs> what does that mean? Are you are you the football team? No, because you don't have a quarterback who can throw to your top five wide receiver in your league. I just don't understand. Hey, we've never seen their quarterback play in the NFL. We don't know what he can do yet. Well, before this, but as as much as we as much as we shit on the Commanders, and rightfully so, um, I will give them credit with all the stuff that they've been going through off the field. They've been able to still put together a competitive team on the field, and I think that's that's really a credit to to Ron Rivera um, to kind of keep all the the outside stuff away from the locker room and still be able to get the job done on the field. Uh, yeah, I so mean, Matt, I, even, I mean, even with Carson Wentz, even with Taylor Heineke, you know, they were st- still able to to be competitive. I mean, really, when you look at all the outside stuff with surrounding the organization, looking at the quarterback situation, you know, the, the team had every, every justification to just tear it down and go 2017, 2018 Browns with the whole thing. And, and they didn't. And credit to them, they, they've been able to make the playoffs or – damn near make the playoffs it, it is crazy that they've been competitive and I, I i can only imagine if they were like if the franchise itself was stable ownership was stable and was stable if they would actually better they made it to the playoffs and were competitive with taylor heineke and i'm not saying taylor has a scrubber he's not and i don't think he's a top third so you're talking a, a fringe starter you know dom do you have any like actual name you think they should go by or do you like do you like poo poo oh you gotta be poo poo pants um the love, love the washington poo poo pants I want to see them in brown pants <laughs> with the, the shit emoji on the other comment. Um, but no, in, in all seriousness, um, I mean, no name really sticks out to me. Um, trying to give it on the spot. Um, I know they, they were, when they were trying to rebrand the team last time, it was between what the, they were considering what the Red Tails for a little bit, right? There, That is another military background. Um, I don't know. Answer any military 
term and it would probably fit the team and fit the city. I mean, it's DC. The Washington Pentagon. There's the name of the team. I mean, I guess you could do like a, you could do like a, like the Washington. Yeah. Which wouldn't be like probably trademark. Well, yeah, but you could, you, yeah, because you can't trademark. Yeah. yeah. They, they would, but then you couldn't. There's you, probably why, why the mayors, their, uh, the trademark got, um, kind of poo pooed there for for a little bit. Uh, the poo poo pants got poo pooed with their with their trademark idea. Yeah, they're gonna have to go something because generic. you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, when it, when it cut out on me, it didn't fully cut out. It just broke up like a like a teenage relationship or whatever. Relationship or whatever. Up wow, did you catch me saying the 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 poo the poo poo pants got poo pooed with their trademark? Yeah, but it was broken. Yeah, like right now, you're just broken. breaking up. Also, do you have like a headset or anything? Because you're making everybody echo. You're like that one guy in the the Xbox group chat. Um, I have one downstairs. I gotta hook it up. All right. So just continuously mute yourself every now and again. So, anyways, let's continue on to our final topic of the night. Um, for those who are big followers of European football and the rest of the world football, I should say, as well as the MLS. One of the biggest names in the world, Lionel Messi, recently joined the United States MLS. Uh, so what does this do for Major League Soccer as well as Messi? So I'm just going to hand it off to you guys since I don't know much about soccer slash European football. So I'll hand it off to you. Do you want me to go first, Dom, since you're kind of the, the guy you can go last? Um, So I, I guess for, for me... um. I'm, I wouldn't say I'm new to the MLS, but I'm definitely in the past like four or five years to football um, across the globe. But I've been a huge crew fan, I guess, since the start what soccer was. Um, so I just think as from an MLS standpoint, I think this is a huge get for them. Um, I'm hoping that it's a huge get short term and long term. But I think the only way that it works long term is if Messi is able to add to the draw of players you know coming over to the mls i think what the mls needs is it needs this recognition of being a serious competitive soccer league or football league within the um and i think if messi can pave a pathway for older almost retired football players from across the globe to come and play in the mls get a bit of a payday, maybe get a little bit of an ownership stake in some of these teams, maybe even own their own team, kind of like what David Beckham did. I think that that would be huge for the league. I think the MLS is, I think soccer in general with the United States is becoming more of a, a serious sport. I think a lot more people are wanting to play it. I think we're getting a lot more athletes, our top athletes within America that are play soccer um, instead of other sports. Obviously, football basketball are always going to be top tier but i think if soccer can start to chip away at you know hockey the mlb i think that they could you know find themselves in a spot there but i think it'll be huge i think it'll be definitely huge for the short term because you're going to get a ton of revenue that's going to go into the mls because people are going to watch messi play whenever he comes to their cities but like i said i'm hoping that this that this experiment works out and it can kind of push other players from around the world to kind of see this pathway of coming over close to their retirement, uh, making a little bit of money, improving the MLS image. And then over time, that can entice even younger players um, who might still be in their prime start coming over, continuing, I guess, more world. Um, I got mixed emotions on it. Obviously, Messi, he's, you know, the, well, him, him, him and Cristiano Ronaldo are the two biggest names 
in the sport. Um, Messi being like 36, 37, obviously at the end of his career, um, obviously playing wise, this is not a long-term move for him, but I do think it gives the MLS some, some credibility. Um, it's definitely going to draw a lot of interest. Um, I know ticket prices for inner Miami's home game went from $20 before, before Messi signed. Now they're like $400. Um, and since announcing the Messi signing, Inter Miami has gained more like 6 million followers on, on Instagram, which is already more than any NFL team already has. So ju- just the amount that they've gained since he signed is more than any NFL team currently having total, which is, it, it, it really speaks to the status of Messi um, as, as a player and, and really as, as a brand. Um, we'll see how it, how it works on the field. I mean, the level of play in the MLS is really not comparable to to what he's used to. Um, so, at, you know, the age of thirty, I think thirty seven, he's gonna tear the league up. Is um, even even at thirty six? I mean, he still had an amazing season with with PSG. Um, obviously, not to the messy standards that we're used to, but still a really good season. Um, so there's there's no reason to think that he's not going to come over here and just have to dominate. I I think long term he stays associated with the MLS. I mean David Beckham owns Inter Miami, so I wouldn't see why they wouldn't be like co-owners or the MLS like like hey Messi you want to own a team and and let him own the expansion, you know, Las Vegas team or, or whatnot. Um, I, I think it's more of a, a long-term business move than it really is a long-term career playing move for him. But it, it does give the MLS some credibility. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I mean, you look at like um, a team like Cincinnati FC, right, that joined the MLS in 2018. Greg and I were talking about them um, on Ohioverse last week, and they're they're the clear number one team in the MLS, right? And you're talking about that's what, five years in at this point? They have a few guys out on loans within the Premier League. So when you look at something like that, you're looking at these two who are in the highest level of football, who are trusting an MLS team to give their guys playing time and develop them to help come out a Champions League, FA Cup, the league, those kinds of things. So I think that at the at the end of the day, like Dom said, the MLS is going to gain more notoriety. Inner Miami has more <laughs> subscribers than we could ever hope for, and um, more than most other professional sports teams throughout the world. Um, and I think that if they can continue to get the eyes on them and they can continue to get that notoriety, this is going to be a league that is going to shoot up in the amount of talent that it has running through it. And it's going to be, like I said, I, I think it could be become one of the premier you know, football leagues within the world. Like you have the Premier League, you have what, La Liga, uh, the Bundesliga. And I think MLS could one day, 2030, in the same conversation, growth, the level of talent. With- hey, who knows? And maybe we'll grow too at some point. Maybe we'll grow into a, a our own channel where we're doing this every day. So who knows? Maybe there is some hope. <laughs> so... Anyways, if that's nothing else you guys uh, want to add to this topic, is there anything else you guys want to add to this topic real quick? No? All right, uh... um, City won the treble. Just going to gonna throw that in there. Uh, we won everything this year, and I'm happy about it. <laughs> All right. And um, so are there is there any, like, good news in your guys' lives that you want to bring up? Any, like, uh, important news? 
um i just did city city winning the treble um we again we won everything and that makes me very happy <laughs> all right that is that, that is really huge and and hard to do so like maybe for people who don't know the treble is the premier league the champions league and the fa cup right yep so and like that's for a lot of people that don't know in the world of English football or I guess European football, that mm-hmm. is a huge a huge feat and it's super hard to do. You're talking about probably what almost a hundred ninety. Yeah, years. I mean the Premier League season, you got 36? you know 30, 36 okay. games there. Thirty eight. Um, Champions League, you probably got like another twenty ish. FA Cup, you got like ten to fifteen there. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's. It's up there. On top of that, um, there's a bunch of other cups that they go in, little tournaments. Those guys are playing. Well, I mean, there, there's one other cup. I mean, on, on the, the level the city are at, I mean, the only tournament that we didn't win was the Carabao Cup. Um, wow. Other than that. How could – wow. Well, yeah, no, we, we won it four out of the last, you know, five years. They were like, we yeah. must sacrifice it to win the big three. I, 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 I could get behind that. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't cry, but I was damn near – close to crying when we won the champions league something that i never thought i would see and that's 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 one like that's because you got teams from a bunch of well i mean you look at i know everybody knows manchester city is a huge brand huge team we weren't always like that um we have always been the the little brother to, to manchester united um we up in, I mean hell even in 2000 99 2000 we were down in the third tier of english football uh, up until we won the Premier League for the first time in 2011, we haven't won a major trophy since like the mid 60s. So the fact that we won a champ, we've been to two Champions League finals and won one this year. Again, it's something that I never thought that I would see. And for people in America, when Dom says, you know, City was like the little brother to Manchester, it's a lot like the Clippers to the Lakes. The Clippers and the, <laughs> yeah, cl- yeah the, it's like or, the, or the, the White Sox and the Cubs. Yeah, um, or, the, or the Nets to the Knicks. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. you got, you got this huge brand and, and, uh, and kind of the other, the other team within the city that's, that's there. And yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I always joke with you, we play FIFA, I always pick United just, you know, I think it's a, it's a huge feat. What the, the kind of run that City's been on since 2011 when they won that their first or it's probably not for league but third that was our first premier league okay that's yeah that's what i thought um so when they won the first premier league within 2011 the run that they've been on since then has really shown a testament to the fact that the culture that's being built there the amount of win, um and i think that said they they pulled themselves from not really being a notable ip within the world to now being a world-renowned organization, people talk about football outside of, <clears throat> you know, America. They 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 know what man. So I think that's it. That's into do. It's not something though. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's hard to do. I'll say one thing though is um, I don't know if you guys there was like a little like a tournament in like the Carolinas for soccer and um, like a bunch of different teams were in there, you know, vying for like like a couple minutes or something like that. And in like round one, our national women's team had to play um, Wrexham. I don't know if you guys know what Wrexham is, but that's like Ryan Ren team over in Wales. And before the match, one of the U.S. national women's players was like, you know what? They were like dissing Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney for not being there. Like, you should have been here to support your team. We're going to beat them. And then Wrexham ended up winning like 11 to nothing in the game. So, like, I was was like, oh. Um, Wrexham just got promoted back into into the pyramid. Yeah, like yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, who who did who did they beat? 
the women's yeah. national team, I think you said they'd be they, the the team that that's two levels away from just being a Sunday rec league team beat the the best national team in the world eleven to nothing. Well, I don't I don't know if it was like all their best players. I think like they still even yeah, if it yeah. was their B team. Well, they still they had they had they had some like some of the like people that were retired. I think like Megan like that, but still, yeah. Even though she's retired, she's she's talented. Like she's well, one of the greatest female I, soccer players of all time. I don't, but I don't want to get into like the. Uh, I don't want to get into the debate of like you know. Uh, it's a very yeah. You hey, know what? you brought this up. You brought it on uh, yourself. There, there you you very- dug yourself in this hole. We go <laughs> we 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 gonna step back and watch you dig yourself out. Have fun, bud. Yeah, you're gonna walk yourself out of this one. Listen, listen, everybody out there. <laughs> there, there, there is a reason that Serena Williams, probably, I would argue, the greatest female tennis player of all time. Right? If in her prime, I think she could beat anybody in female tennis. There's a reason that she said that she would not be able to compete in men's tennis. There's a reason she said that. She literally said that she'd probably be like, she might be 99 out of the top 100 tennis players she played in men's tennis it's just it's just a different it's just a different level I'm not saying that they're not good soccer players or not saying that they can't compete at a high level the women i guess playing soccer it hasn't been around as long as you know professionalized men's soccer has and maybe one day at some point they'll get to that point i think there's a lot of WNBA players that could compete you know and take jobs of some nfl or some nba guys in this because of how skilled they are and how well they can shoot um and, and play the game of basketball but that's because over time they've developed over the past 10, 12 years to get to that level. I think that, you know, women's soccer has a little bit still to grow. And, and I think they've done some amazing stuff on the national level. And when you look at the National Women's Soccer League, that's something that's growing. Um, I don't know if it's a good sign that they let 15-year-olds play and the 15-year-old goes and kind of dominates all the adults. I don't know what that means. But I just, I think that at the end of the day, that's a, yeah, it's a fun time. But yeah, Wrexham beat them 11 to nothing. I just want to thank you guys for tuning in to another great episode of Deep Dive Sports and Let's Talk Sports in general. And this will be the last time David invites Nick and I on together for an episode. <laughs> Honestly, no. We've, we've no. been on so long, David's, David's like, come on. <laughs> He's half asleep laying on his bed like, stop talking. <laughs> we are hour three into recording. What is happening? This is right going to be four episodes long. <laughs> So Nick just canceled us all. Shit. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you to the guys. Thank you to everyone for tuning in and listening. Let us know how we did. And we'll see you all in, in the next one.